If you think about it, it's truly a miracle that we are able to speak and communicate, right? Words are a miracle, a gift from God. Just think of it when you have a little baby, parents eagerly wait for the time when your little one is going to say daddy or mommy for the very first time. And, and if the language of your child is delayed, you start to become concerned, right? Words are capable of, of telling stories. Words are capable of creating images in our minds. Words are able to do things, create results. Words can motivate. Words can turn into actions. That's what distinguishes us from all other creatures that God has created. Only mankind has received the gift of words, and words are powerful things. We can use words to drive away loneliness, for example, or fear. A friendly or encouraging word can make a huge difference in the life of a friend because words are effective. It's not for nothing that the Hebrew word for speaking is a word that means doing. A word is not just a sound. It's an action. If the doctor tells you that you need minor surgery and he's able to fix your problem, you will react much differently than if he tells you you have six months to live and you need to make your house in order. Good news makes you happy. Bad news can make you sad and get you down. So words have tremendous influence for good or for evil, and that's what the Ninth Commandment deals with. How do we handle the gift of words? Are we using our words in the service of God and in the service of our neighbor? Or are we using words to serve ourselves? And it's clear from Scripture that God wants to use our words in his service. He wants us to use our words for his service. He even enlists our words in service of his kingdom and his truth. And God is the God who spoke first. He is the God you read about in Genesis 1 who said, let it come to pass. And God said, let there be light. He brings the world into existence by his word. Later in Genesis 15, we read that the word of the Lord came to Abraham. So both creation and redemption, creation and recreation are brought into existence by the word of God. And God does this in a way that we can all understand. He uses plain language, human language, to communicate his truth to us. On the day of Pentecost, for example, people from many different nations and countries all heard the gospel in their native tongue. And God does not speak in riddles. He speaks to us in our own language. And his word is effective. It does its work. God is not bound or his word is not bound or or fettered in any way it can go anywhere it can affect anyone it's not bound by a certain language or limited by geography it is active and living writes the author of hebrews and paul writes to timothy it is profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness that the man of god may become may be competent and equipped for every good work And so his word is sovereign, and it's irresistible, and yet it is communicated in a way that we can understand. 
And God uses human words then, which he created to do his work and to bring his word to the ends of the earth, his, his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. God uses the human tongue to do that work. And so we, human beings, human tongues, human words, then are servants, instruments in the hand of God to bring about effective change in the hearts and lives of other people wherever they hear the, and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. So the word of God is a living reality. It is a divine power. It brings people to obedience. It bends us to God's will. God's word says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So it's clear from Scripture that it is God's word, the Holy Spirit uses his, the proclamation of his word in human language to bring about repentance in the lives of people. His word causes people to be born again. It's the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses. And his word turns us into people who want to serve the Lord and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the Apostle Peter says, this is the word that is preached to you, he writes to his listeners. And that's a word that comes to us as well. And for this reason, then, we understand, too, why it is so terrible when we misuse this gift. And it's so easy to do that, isn't it? Words can be used for good, but also for evil. Words can represent reality and truth, or words can paint a picture of something that's not true. That's what Satan did in paradise. He used words to suggest that God didn't really mean what he said. Did God really say that you are not allowed to eat of any tree in the garden? Well, that's a twisting of God's word. That wasn't the truth. He turned God's words upside down. After all, God said you may eat of every tree in the garden except the one. The one tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that's how the lie entered the world. It came through words. That's why Satan is called the father of lies. That's what the Lord Jesus calls him. John chapter 8. So he is the one who stands behind every lie and every falsehood. And when words are misused and abused, when words are not used in the service of God and of the neighbor, it's Satan who stands behind that. Psalm 50, verse 19 and 20, say, speaking about evil men, it says, They give their mouth free rein for evil and their tongue for framing deceit to speak against the brother and slander their own mother's son. That is the influence of the devil who, made, who caused the lie to enter the world. Deceit and lies and the misuse of words began with him. And that's how these things entered also the life of God's people. And you can see that throughout the history of God's people. As a result of Satan's lies, right? the people of God, they, the people of Israel, they slandered God in the wilderness. They accused God of wanting to bring them from Egypt into the wilderness to die, instead of, as he had promised, to bring them to the land of Canaan. So they spoke falsehoods about God. They accused God of manipulating words. And we do that to each other, too. 
Ever since the first lie entered the world, people have been quick to accuse one another falsely. We are quick to judge someone rashly and unheard, as we to use the words of the Heidelberg Catechism. Right? We love a juicy bit of gossip, and we don't stop to think about it before we even pass it on. After the fall into sin, words have become instruments for evil and destruction. James writes, the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And in the Catechism, Lord's Day 43 mentions gossip and slander. Telling stories about people when there's no need to do so. That's what that means. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. But whoever slanders his neighbor is is trumpeting his neighbor's sins around the neighborhood so that everyone else can can hear about it. Right? Did you hear about so-and-so? Did you hear the latest news? And sometimes we even piously add, well, I don't really want to throw him under the bus, but did you know what he did? And that's how words which ought to be in the service of God are used in service to Satan. And that's true even if you are spreading true stories about someone. If telling something is not done for the purpose of defending and promoting the good of your neighbor's honor and reputation, then you need to keep your mouth shut. It's as simple as that. And boys and girls, that counts for you too. You all know what a tattletale is. But if you're tattling on somebody, your sibling or a friend, to get them in trouble with your parent or your teacher, then you are the one who ought to be punished for being a tattletale because your motives are wrong. The wrong use of words then also includes condemning someone rashly or unheard. That means that we judge someone based on appearances instead of on reality. And we can, I'll give you some examples. Maybe you know a couple who has only one child or two children and we think to ourselves, well, they must not want any more. And we make that judgment ourselves without asking them about it. Or when someone is not able to come to church because they're dealing with anxiety and we say, well, they should just get over it. Or we see a young man or a woman in the church without a life partner and we wonder what their problem is, but we don't even go and talk to them and befriend them. Or when parents have a hard time keeping one of their children submissive, we think to ourselves, well, they obviously don't know what they're doing, but we don't offer a friendly word or don't offer to help. And I'm sure you can think of other examples as well. And we know how this goes, right? I'm sure you know how this goes. Or what kind of things we talk about over a cup of coffee and at our birthday parties. We love to talk about other people. Well, James has some very hard words to say about that. He says, such things ought not to be amongst you. Such things are an affront to God. Gossip, even if it's true, is still gossip and can have a devastating effect. Lives can be ruined and hearts destroyed because of a passing comment that has no basis in reality. And this, says James, this happens in the family of God. 
and it ought not to be so. And we ought to know better. After all, the Bible says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So why would we allow Satan a foothold in the family of God by talking behind someone's back and making nasty or demeaning comments? And sometimes when we speak up and say that something like that bothers us, we might even be told, you're being too sensitive. Well, brothers and sisters and boys and girls, let's make it our commitment to spend more time talking with each other than about each other. Paul exhorted the congregation in Philippi to be careful with one another. He told them, be of the same mind. Have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. And he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Or think of Christ's warning in Matthew 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that's in your own? We are so quick to judge, aren't we? But many times our judgment is short-sighted and wrong and ruthless. What if God treated us the way we treat one another so often? Where would we be? Jesus tells us to be merciful, even as our Father in heaven is merciful. And what does that mean? Well, to be merciful means to consider the facts before you make up your mind about someone else. Even a criminal who is arrested by the police sometimes gets treated better than we often treat each other. At least a criminal gets a fair trial. Should we not extend that same courtesy to one another? Why would we treat a brother or sister bought with the precious blood of Christ in a way that Satan loves? And that's what we do when we judge others rashly and unheard. Again, let's make every effort not to let Satan get a foothold in the family of God. If we do, then our words are in his service and not in the service of God. May the words of Psalm 141 always be our prayer. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. That's a prayer that we need for ourselves and for one another so that we will not abuse the gift of language and communication that God has given us, but that we would always be ready to use our tongue in God's service and in the service of our neighbor. Well, where does that leave us? Well, as with the other commandments and all other sin, we need the cleansing blood of Christ for the ninth sins against the ninth commandment too. But we have a Savior, we have a Savior who has fulfilled this command. 
After all, he ended up on the cross because of two false witnesses, didn't he? They twisted his words when he spoke about breaking down the temple in three days and rebuilding it. He was talking about the temple of his body. They accused him of talking about the temple in Jerusalem. But in fact, it was worse than that. Because Jesus bore witness to the truth. He spoke the truth and nothing but the truth. When he was asked, are you the son of God? He said, yes. He testified, I am. But when he spoke this truth, the high priest called it blasphemy. So he was condemned for speaking the truth. And he was nailed to the cross because of our sins against the ninth commandment. He, was, he hung there because, because of our thoughtless gossip sessions and because we are often rash in our judgment and hurt people with our words. The Lord Jesus never spoke a needless or a thoughtless word, ever. He never spoke carelessly or flippantly. He never hurt anyone with his words. When he was reviled, writes Peter, he did not revile in return. And according to his own words in John 15, he says to us, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? Because of the word I have spoken to you. You see, Christ also uses the power of the word to encourage us, doesn't he? By his word, he brings the reality of redemption into our lives. The word of forgiveness, the word of acquittal for our sin. And we need that desperately. James wrote, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. And we're not perfect people, are we? We know that. Every day we abuse the gift of words. We've all spoken out of turn. Every one of us has slandered his or her neighbor. We've all participated in gossip. We have all judged someone rashly and condemned somebody without really listening to them. We're all guilty of it. Congregation, I may say to you that the word that I bring you today is not a moral self-help lesson. But I preach to you Christ the mediator the perfect mediator, the one who says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And that counts for the ninth commandment too. If we are not united to Christ, then we are completely helpless and hopeless. With Christ, we are and we will remain gossips and tattletales and and slanderers. And that's why the cleansing of our lives and of our tongue doesn't begin with good intentions. But it begins with the word of Jesus Christ who declares that we are redeemed and acquitted. He redeems our words for service to God. So one of two things must be true. Either I live in the service of the evil one and I live for myself or I cast myself at the foot of the cross in all humility And for the sake of Christ, I am willing to serve God and the communion of saints. Only then, only then can we begin to win the battle against lies and falsehood. Because in Christ, we live in victory. Even when I fall into sin, which is something that I cannot avoid on this earth. But in Christ, I may once more stand before God in all honesty, saying, I am a sinner. But in Christ, I am a forgiven sinner. And in that light, then, 
we receive courage to go on, to serve God and to serve the neighbor, especially the neighbor who stands before God in the same light that I do. So you see, the victory over sin must come from the heart. Victory over sin must come from the inside out and in full dependence on the Lord and on Jesus Christ and on the Spirit of God. It's only when we live from that truth that we also love the truth and honor it. And only then can we begin to serve each other in all sincerity. Only then will our communion with others be a blessing. Then we will be true servants of the Most High God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, brothers and sisters, congregation, may God preserve us then for service in his love to serve him and one another. Amen.